Okay. Good morning, everybody. This morning we're going to study the Confession of Faith, chapter 13, Sanctification. Well, let's pray and ask God's blessing on us as we consider the 1689 Confession of Faith, chapter 13. Father, thank you for this day of rest and worship, and thank you that we could gather in your presence today. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Give us light and grace from your Spirit to show us from your word what you say about true gospel holiness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are considering the blessings of the Christian life, effectual calling, chapter 10, justification, chapter 11, adoption, chapter 12, and now sanctification. Progressive sanctification or ongoing moral renewal in the Christian life is set out in our confession of faith in chapter 13. Now this chapter comes primarily from the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Savoy Declaration. However, there is a section at the very end that I'll open up in a minute that actually comes from a slight revision of one article of the first London Confession. What's that? All right, first of all, this has three paragraphs. The first paragraph sets out the major features or characteristics, attributes of progressive sanctification. And the second and third paragraphs set out the lifelong warfare or spiritual warfare that's connected with progressive sanctification. All right, first of all, the major features of progressive sanctification. 13.1 They who are united to Christ, effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection are also farther sanctified, really and personally, through the same virtue, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts of it are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of all true holiness without which no man will see the Lord. They identify the receiver's source, nature, means, substance, goal or end, and necessity of progressive sanctification. The receivers or subjects are those 
who are united to Christ, effectually called and regenerated. And that the fountain or root of it is that they have a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. And they are also farther sanctified, really, and personally. So that the blessing of progressive moral renewal or sanctification, consecration morally to God, is built on the foundation and grows out of the source of the moral renewal that takes place at conversion. And they describe that moral renewal as the creation of a new heart and a new spirit morally by the Holy Spirit in virtue of, that is, on the basis and ground of what Christ did in the accomplishment of redemption through his death and resurrection. So that the application of redemption at conversion in the Christian life grows out of what Christ accomplished in his ministry in his life and death. And his virtue, the virtue of his perfect life and atoning death, is the ground and basis of the application of redemption to us. Our moral renewal in our life at conversion grows out of what Christ did in the accomplishment of redemption. And the progressive sanctification of the Christian life, the ongoing farther sanctification and moral renewal of the Christian life grows out of regeneration. The moral transformation of the heart that takes place at conversion. Okay? They who are united to Christ, effectually called out of darkness to light through the gospel, regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them. That takes place in conversion. And the ground of it and basis of it in the, is the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. So Christ purchased for us moral renewal in his cross. And then we are farther sanctified, really and personally, through the same virtue. So that the work of ongoing sanctification also grows out of what Christ did for us on the cross. This is through the word and spirit dwelling in us. Sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. And also 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brothers, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Then they open up next. after They laid the foundation of progressive sanctification, which is conversion and regeneration, and moral renewal. Then they open up the essential substance of progressive sanctification. 
And they mention three things. First, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. Second, and the several lusts of it are more and more weakened and mortified. And third, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. We are emancipated morally and set free from the power of reigning sin. And progressively, throughout the Christian life, more and more specific remaining sins are put to death. And throughout the Christian life, progressively, more and more, we put on the grace of the Lord Jesus, and we are conformed more and more morally to Christ throughout our lives. This is the very substance of progressive sanctification. The power of reigning sin is broken, so that what used to reign in us, though it remains in us, reigns in us no more. We are no more living in sin. We have been transformed morally renewed and emancipated from the power of reigning sin. And specifically, remaining sins are being put to death more and more, and graces are being cultivated more and more to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the substance, the threefold substance of progressive sanctification. And what is its design or end? They say, to the practice of all true holiness. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit in order to complete holiness in the fear of God. The design of this is that we would put away all sin and put on Christ. We aim in progressive sanctification at nothing less than complete conformity to Christ, putting away all remaining sin and putting on Christ and being like him thoroughly, always, in every area, at all times. That's the goal. Nothing less than that. You're saying that you aim at nothing less than complete and total conformity to Christ in this life? That's right. In order to complete holiness, that's the design. In the fear of God, with the sense that God is always watching us, both in public and in private. So at all times and in all ways, our aim is to put on Christ and to put off sin, so that we never sin again. That's, a, that's the goal, that's the design of progressive sanctification. That's what Jesus said, you shall therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's exactly what we aim to do, never sin again. Isn't that right? You see, we're going to get now into some of the frustration of that, but hold on. So, the substance of it, is that the body of sin is destroyed. We no longer are under the dominion of reigning sin. We're putting off remaining sins, putting on Christ with the design and purpose and goal of complete conformity to Christ and sinless perfection. We aim at nothing less. We have absolutely 
No compromise, no peace treaty with any sin whatsoever. Right? Isn't that it? And then they end with the indispensability of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So that genuine holiness, progressive sanctification, not perfection, but genuine gospel holiness is absolutely essential and indispensable. And without it, nobody's going to heaven. It's not optional. But it is indispensable, essential, and necessary. So what is this then? Quote, salvation on the ground of our own works? No. The point is this. God never does one thing without the other. Everyone that he regenerates, he also further sanctifies. Everyone that he justifies, he also regenerates and sanctifies. There's no such thing as a person justified on the ground of Christ alone, by means of faith alone, because of grace alone, who is not also regenerated and progressively sanctified. God never does one without the other. You can't separate those two things. And that's why progressive sanctification is indispensable, because it's the evidence of a genuine work of God in the heart. It's the evidence of genuine religion. Because the God of grace never justifies anybody that he doesn't sanctify. That's not the way he operates. When God does one thing, he does it all. And that's why holiness is indispensable. Because it's the evidence of a genuine work of God in a person's life. So anybody can say, you know, God justified me. But just because people say it, that doesn't mean it's true. The evidence of genuine justification is a holy life. And why is it the evidence? Indispensable evidence. Because God never does one without the other. He doesn't justify people that he doesn't sanctify. And so that's how they present the major features of progressive sanctification. It's rooted in conversion. It involves, in its very substance, deliverance and emancipation from the power of reigning sin, putting off sins, putting on Christ. It aims at nothing less than sinless perfection and is absolutely necessary and essential and indispensable for eternal life and going to heaven. All right, any questions or comments on that before we get to paragraphs two and three? As you can, somebody can say to me, well, wait a minute, you're aiming at nothing less than sinless perfection. Do you think you can attain perfection in this life? No. Absolutely not. But what does that mean then? Are you going to live a total life of frustration? In one respect, that's true. Absolutely, yes. That which I hate that I do. And we'll get, that's why they write paragraphs two and three. But before we go on to paragraphs two and three, you see, Paragraphs 2 and 3 grow necessarily out of paragraph 1. If you grasp the idea of paragraph 1, then the question is going to come up with, do you think that you can attain sinless perfection? That's what you're striving for? Do you think you can attain it? Did anybody attain it in this life? No. Well, where are we going then? Going to paragraphs 2 and 3. The lifelong warfare associated with progressive sanctification.
So Christians, genuine Christians, all of us, are striving for nothing less than sinless perfection. Even though we know that we can never achieve and attain it in this life. And what this gives rise to is a continual war. And in paragraph 2, they speak about the cause of this continuing, continuing lifelong warfare. And in paragraph 3, the outcome of this continuing lifelong warfare. Paragraph 2. This sanctification, progressive moral renewal, is throughout the whole man. It's universal. Yet, imperfect in this life. There abides still some remnants of corruption in every part. From which, wherefrom, arises a continual and irreconcilable war. The flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Paragraph 3, the outcome of this lifelong war. In which war, although the remaining corruption may for a time much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit, the regenerate part does overcome, and so the saints grow in grace perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then the last statement comes from the first London Confession. This statement I'm about to read. Uh, Article 29. Pressing after an heavenly life in evangelical obedience to all the commands which Christ as head and king in his word has prescribed to them. So the outcome of this war is the relative victory of reigning righteousness and gospel obedience in this life. That's what they're talking about. The outcome of relative victory of growth in grace and gospel obedience in this life. So first of all, in paragraph 2, the cause of this warfare, reigning righteousness and remaining sin. The sanctification is throughout the whole man. It's a universal holiness, but it's imperfect. There is no Christian that has ever attained in this life or will ever attain in this life sinless perfection. And if anyone claims that he's living above sin, he's actually, in truth, living below known sin. And he's not aware of it because it says, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. And when people allege and claim that they can achieve perfection, they have to redefine sin. 
So that sin only consists in an outward checklist of do's and don'ts. But genuine gospel holiness has to do with all defilement, not only of flesh, outward behavior, but spirit, inward disposition, carnal anger, sinful pride, self-righteousness, the very false claim that I have achieved sinless perfection is itself sin. The blindness of spiritual pride and self-righteousness. It's all defilement of flesh and spirit. There's no such thing as someone who attains perfection in this life. There abides still some remnants of corruption in every part, in our mind, in our heart, in our soul, in our behavior, in our words, in our actions. Everything we do is tainted with remaining sin. And this gives rise to a continual irreconcilable war. The flesh remaining corruption, lusting against the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That is, lusting meaning having desire against, fighting against, resisting the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fighting against. The flesh. Reigning righteousness. This sanctification is throughout the whole man. Remaining sin. Yet imperfect in this life. There abide still remnants of corruption in every part. Lifelong internal conflict. From which arises a war. If we say, 1 John 1.10, that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Romans 7.18 and 23, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to form that, perform that which is good I find not. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Galatians 5.17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. First Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. If by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. And so there's a war. And there's a fight. And there's a constant war against my own remaining corruption. In my heart and in the heart of every genuine believer. And then paragraph three, what's the outcome of this war? The outcome of this lifelong war. In which war, although... The remaining corruption may for a time much prevail. Sometimes God leaves us to ourselves so that we feel the weight of our own remaining sin and just how much totally we depend upon him to humble us. There are times of backsliding in in the Christian life. 
and for some worse than others. And even though it may for a time much prevail, nevertheless, yet, through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit, the regenerate part doth overcome. The regenerate heart overcomes. That is, the saints grow in grace. We do progressively put on Christ and put off sin. It is real. There is the real, true, genuine, by the Holy Spirit, mortification of remaining sin. And the real, true, genuine putting on of grace in Christ. So that we can say, I'm not everything I should be. I'm not what I yet one day will be. But I'm not what I used to be. Thank God I'm not that either. Not what I should be. Not what I will be. But I'm not what I used to be. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has changed my life. Changed my heart. And though the struggle with my own remaining sin has been long and hard all these many years I've been a Christian, nevertheless, he, he has worked in my life and changed my life more and more, in spite of my own remaining corruption. And you can see it. It's not like this. I wish it was just like that. Not like that. It's more like this. More like It's, uh, you know, it's not. If you look at it over time, you see the growth. How do you measure the mortification of sin? That's a question that people have asked me. I'm going to get to that in a minute. So victory is not, let me say what it's not. It is not the eradication of sin in this life. It is growth in grace. It is the progressive mortification of sin and the progressive putting on of Christ. The victory that they speak about in this life is not the eradication of sin. It is not the eradication of any one sin. It is not the attainment of sinless perfection in this life. That is not the victory that they speak about. The victory that they speak about is this. So... The saints grow in grace. The victory is growth in grace. Perfecting holiness. Completing holiness in the fear of God. Pressing after a heavenly life. In gospel or evangelical obedience to all the commands of God. The victory is a growing gospel evangelical obedience universally to all the commands of God. It's growth in grace. Reigning righteousness, evangelical virtue. The Christian continues to grow in grace and sin is progressively mortified and victory is not the attainment of sinless perfection in this life, but it's growth in grace and in gospel obedience to the Lord. And the last time I taught this, somebody asked the question, well, 
How exactly does this work? How exactly does the Holy Spirit work in us? And uh, I quoted to them a text that was not found in the confession. The confession doesn't cite this text, but it seems relevant to me. And the text is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, beloved, even as you have always obeyed, work out, produce your ultimate salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, to will and to work, to resolve and to strive. So I'm resolving and I'm striving. What are you resolving to do? I'm resolving to put off every remaining sin. What are you striving to do? I'm striving to put off those sins and to put on Christ. I'm resolving and I'm trying. Okay? I'm resolving. It's my will and my resolve. What are you resolved to do? To put to death all my remaining sin and what else? To put on Jesus Christ and be like him. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to put to death all my remaining sin and put on Jesus Christ. Well, who produced that resolve in you? God, the Holy Spirit, does. And who produces that trying in you? God, the Holy Spirit, does. It is God who works in you to will, resolve, and work, strive, in order to please him. God produces it. So there's this... I mean, are you, am I conscious that God's producing my resolve? No. But he is. Am I conscious that he's giving me the strength to make an effort? No. But he is. And he always has, and he always will. He will always work in you to resolve and to try to please him, to put off your remaining sin and put on Christ. That's how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He sanctifies us by working on our will and enabling us spiritually to put sin to death and to imitate the Lord Jesus. Does that make sense? It's not that I'm conscious that the Holy Spirit, the resolve is real. and It's my resolve and it's my will and God produced it. And the effort is real and it's my effort and God produced my effort. That doesn't make me a puppet. He works upon my will. It's my will and my choice. And he mysteriously works in me. And he has and he's never going to stop working in me and working in you, dear Christian, in order to try and in order to want and resolve and choose and purpose to please God. There's a mystery, huh? So this is a mystery, and it's a moral miracle. Just like the, the recreation of a new soul morally, a new heart, a new spirit, is a moral miracle. So the Christian life is a moral miracle. The ongoing conformity to Christ of the Christian life is a moral miracle, worked in us by the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. So that he works on our will, and he works in our heart, to enable us and 
to resolve and try to please God. So how do you measure progressive sanctification? How do you measure this little graph that I'm showing you with my finger up here in the air? How do you actually measure it? If by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. That's another question that I've been asked over the years from people. Well, you look at the degree of the sin, the frequency of the sin, and the duration of the sin. And I I usually take one sin to illustrate this, the sin of a guy with a bad temper. You ever meet anybody like that that has a bad temper? No? Ever meet a Christian with a bad temper? Hey, look in the mirror, guys. You know, I mean, now, no, yeah, ever meet a Christian with a wise, smart aleck mouth? Uh, look in the mirror, guys. No, never met one of those, did you, sissy? No. No, anyway, yeah. Welcome to New York. Right? We've all got smart aleck mouths in New York, don't we? Yeah. Anyway, leave that, leave that aside. That's supposed to be right. Our wives are giving us this, right? Mortify that big mouth. Right, exactly. So that's not the point. The point is the degree of the sin. I'm not going to deal with the degree of smart aleck mouth. And we're not going down that road. We'll deal with we'll deal with a bad temper. Right? The degree of the sin. What are you talking about when you're talking about the degree of the sin, the frequency of the sin, and the duration of the sin? Because if a sin is being mortified, you're going to see progressively lessening the degree of it, the duration of it, and the frequency of it. Right? Right. Okay, what am I talking about? Well, let's talk about the degree of the sin. Here's a guy, Christian man, God converted him, wicked life, used to have a terrible temper, right? And with his terrible temper, he would beat people up, punch them, punch walls, throw things, swear a blue streak. Right? That was the degree of the sin. And over the years, you see that the degree of the sin is lessening. He's not punching anybody anymore. He's not swearing anymore. He's not throwing things anymore. The degree of the sin is lessening. The frequency of the sin. I mean, he used to get mad over every little thing. And he was yelling and punching and throwing things. He was punching once a week. He was throwing things once a day. And he was yelling every 10 minutes. But now, I mean, he hasn't thrown anything in 10 years. He hasn't punched anybody in 20 years. He hasn't sworn in 5 years. He hasn't yelled in a week. The degree, the frequency of the sin is reducing. Now what about the duration of the sin? Well, the duration of the sin is how long he stays under the sin without repenting of it. There used to be if he'd yell and scream at his wife, he'd come back a, a week later and say, you know, I'm sorry I yelled at you last week. But now, if he uses unkind, ungracious words, immediately his heart smites him and he, he goes to his wife, oh, I'm so sorry. 
fell into that sin again. So the duration of the sin is reducing. So you don't see complete eradication of sin. But when a sin is being mortified, you see a decrease of the degree of the sin, the frequency of the sin, and the duration of the sin over the pattern of his life. You don't see, you know, a curve going up like straight line. It's not, the progress is not linear. But over the years, you're going to see the reduction in the degree and frequency and duration of the sins that used to characterize his life. And that's the evidence of a sin being mortified by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in a man's life. And similarly, you can use the same perspective for putting on Christ. And you take that not just for one thing, like a bad temper, but every, every sin and every grace. Measure it the same way in terms of degree, frequency, and duration. Okay, that's what I wanted to say to you this morning about progressive sanctification.